It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Worldwide Sports Radio presents The Haystack Show with Mike Guido. And here we go. It's a Friday. And it's the Haystack on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Mike Guido, Evan Mazza, my producer, Matt Catarazzolo, Big J journalist. I'm not used to having you here this many days of the week anymore. I'm not. All right, dude, all right then I'll stop coming. Yeah, I, you know what? I'd like that. If I'm making you uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm kidding, Matt. I love you. you. Um, Matt, Matt deserves a raise. All right, plenty of stuff to go over today. Uh, conference championship games this weekend. In the NFL, absolutely loaded. I think we're going to get a really entertaining matchup in the Super Bowl. I'll tell you what that is next, uh, coming up a little bit later. It is Friday, so that means Friday athlete death match at the end of the show today. Uh, Ray Anzelowitz comes on at, I believe, about 1230. Uh, he's still, I'm still waiting on a text back. Thanks a lot, buddy. Um, it is mock draft Friday, so Matt and I came up with an idea that we would do a mock draft today because that's what he wanted to do. Just the first round, though. Well, yeah, not we're, not, do, we're not going to do all seven. <laughs> like, all seven rounds. All seven rounds plus no, a the, free agency. No, just the first. That's fine. That's I'm I'm cool with that. All right, uh, but let's begin today with OBJ. Uh, here's the problem that people are pointing out. Right, if you don't know the story about what Odell Beckham Jr. is going through right now. Uh, it has everything to do with the decision that he made and not the act in which he made it. Okay? Think about this for a second. So Odell, get, after LSU wins the national, uh, national championship game, goes on the field, starts handing out money to players that are going to the NFL. And then he goes into the locker room, is celebrating with the team, and slaps a cop right in the ass. At, and now there's a warrant out for his arrest in Louisiana. Think about this for a second. Why in the world is Odell even getting himself involved in that crowd? Seriously. What's the point? Here's the problem I have. People could say, oh, really? What did Odell do wrong? I, he didn't do anything wrong. Okay? I, I mean, slapping a cop in the ass is wrong. Don't, don't hit, don't. Don't touch cops. Like, that's just, that's stupid. But the whole money giving out thing, I could give a rip about that. I'm certain that it happens all the time behind closed doors, not in front of cameras. But, but that's exactly the point. (laughs) Okay, he's literally doing it on the field when all the media is, there are a million cameras on the field with a million reporters and a million journalists What are we doing here? Okay, the NCAA is founded on not paying its athletes. Why in the world would you make that decision? Okay, this has nothing to do with whether OBJ is a bad guy or or not. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with you're making the conscious decision to hand out money puts particular kids in in a bad spot because it clearly is going to get investigated by the NCAA. I mean, you could be seriously getting kids in trouble. You could get kids' scholarship pulled. 
I mean, use your head. Okay, just because you don't believe in a rule doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to you. It really doesn't make any sense to me. If you are that conscious to make a boneheaded decision like that, it has nothing to do with whether you were giving out money or not. It has everything to do with you were completely unaware of the effect it would have on other people. You didn't think for a second that, well, wait, these guys are still college athletes. Let's hold off on the... Let's hold off on the on, on the on the money giving out. Like, come on, for real? Are we really going to do this today? It's just, it's a bad decision, and it just shows you what the Browns are are needing to deal with with OBJ and what the Giants needed to deal with with OBJ beforehand. The guy is just constantly in seek for attention. I mean, it, it really is ridiculous. There's absolutely no way that he could make those decisions and think, yeah, this is a good idea. No, he wants the camera on him. He wants the OBJ wants to show off the swag and he wants to do all the shut up. Just stop it. OK, OBJ is not the only LSU alum at the game. OK, nobody else made an ass out of themselves. For real. Uh, you don't think that any other player or LSU fan were at that game who's got some sort of clout in the world, famous, athlete, whatever, doesn't matter. OBJ was not the only guy there, but OBJ was the only guy you heard about. OBJ's the only guy that you that made an ass out of himself. He's the only guy that slapped a cop right in the ass. He's the only guy that's going to get arrested. Listen, we could argue about the rule all we want. We could argue about whether getting him arrested, you know, pressing charges on him and and getting him arrested is ridiculous or not. Whatever. Okay, if you're going to ask me, no, I wouldn't have pressed charges. No, I, I, it probably isn't that big of a deal. I probably don't hate the fact that he's giving out $100 bills to college athletes after they just win the national championship. I probably don't hate that. But the fact is, is that it's a rule. And you're not allowed to do it. So why do it? And put the kid in a bad spot. Seriously. I, was, I saw a tweet about this the other day. Where it said, you know, that cop that's, you know, kind of getting on that one kid's case. Because he's, he might, may or may not have had a doobie in his hand. And he, was, he had some weird stuff in a Gatorade bottle or something like that. You think, you think it's fun being that cop? Being the, being the fun killer Okay, being the party pooper in that sort in that sort of sense. No, it's not fun being that guy. Not even a little bit. He doesn't want to even be that cop doesn't want to be there. He wants to let those kids celebrate. But because he's a cop, he's got to do he, he's got to do his job. Okay? He probably got brought in there because they saw cigar smoke and he's just like, All right, "Listen, these are a bunch of underage kids. I can't let this happen." He doesn't want to do that. He didn't that cop didn't even want to be there. And now you're smacking him on the ass. Kind of showing them up a little bit. Stop it. It's just a lack of maturity from Odell again. And it's, I'm serious. The more and more we think about this, Odell is becoming less of a football player and more of a problem. Seriously, if I'm the Browns today, you know, I really try to entertain trading Odell Beckham. I do. I try to trade him. 
I'm not into it. I am not into this whole notion that OBJ is going to translate to wins. He doesn't. Okay, Jarvis Landry, and I got this prediction right, by the way, Evan Massa. Uh, Jarvis Landry finished the season with more catches than OBJ. He's not even your best wide receiver. I'm saying, get rid of the headache. You've already got one. You don't need another one. (sighs) All right. Coming up next, it's mock draft time. So we're going to get through it. 32 picks. I got the odds. Matt has the evens. We'll get through that. Did you want me to list all the ones you got wrong, though? You know, Evan, that's not the point. (laughs) At a left field, Evan. You're fired. (laughs) You're fired. Matt, learn how to produce. Okay. (laughs) I can try. try. Oh, boy. But we're speedy Petey when you need him. (laughs) I I think he's got his hands full enough. I don't care. You're fired. (laughs) That's next. Haystack Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the Haystack Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here we go. Uh, Haystack Worldwide Sports Radio Network, good to have you back. Mike, Evan, Matt here on a Friday. All right, it's mock draft time. So Matt and I alternate picks. I get the odds. Matt gets the evens. I did that so Matt could get the Giants and I could get the Cowboys. So it's pretty pretty easy how I came up with that. Works out beautifully. Pretty much, yeah, exactly. So, all right, here we go. Here we go with the first pick in the Haystack 2020 mock draft. The Cincinnati Bengals select Joe Burrow, quarterback LSU. It makes it makes the most sense in the world. I mean, the guy, hometown kid, did, had the best statistical season ever for a college quarterback. Did, I think he's going to be a special player. Maybe gets the Bengals off the proverbial schneid. Joe Burrow, quarterback LSU, goes to Cincinnati. With the second pick in the Haystack 2020 mock draft, the Washington Redskins select... Look, this might be the, the most obvious number one and two picks in NFL draft history. The Washington Redskins are going to select Chase Young, defensive end from Ohio State. I mean, this kid's just a freak. Uh, I was devastated when the Giants won in week 16 or 17, whatever it was. Against guaranteed the, the Daniel the Jones. Guaranteed that Daniel Jones would be pummeled into the ground by the this worst, man for the next 10 years. The worst win in Giants history. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. This is just a no. This should be another, just like the Burrow pick, should be another no-brainer for the Redskins. Uh, really bolster that pass rush uh, and that defense, that new Jack Del Rio-led defense. So maybe him and Ron Rivera could finally get something going, and the Redskins could you know, climb out of mediocrity. Ch- that Chase Young that's in that front seven, sick. Washington is a mediocrity. I hate that. Washington is a mediocrity. God. That's that's a dumpster fire over there. With the third pick of the 2020 Haystack mock draft, the Detroit Lions select. Uh, I am going to take Jeffrey Okuda, the corner out of Ohio State. Uh, I think they could use another corner. Uh, listen, they've got younger guys. The, Darius Slay, their star guy, is there. I like Amani Oruwarie. I, I understand that they've got some guys over there. But Jeffrey Okuda uh, is a future lockdown guy. If they don't want to continue with Darius Slay, they have a guy right here in Jeffrey Okuda. Might be the best player left on the board. Okuda at number three to the Lions. With the fourth pick in the 2020 mock draft, here we go, Matty. The New York Giants are taking... This is a very, very, very important pick. Jerry, Jerry. But what I want right now, and what I very much hope happens, is that they draft Isaiah Simmons from linebacker from Clemson. This kid is so good. Very, very good. He's fast. He's long. 
He can rush the passer. He can also defend in space. He's a great open field tackler. He's a ball hog. Ball hawk. Ball hawk. He's there a ball hawk. He can really, he, he really gets after the ball carrier, and he just, he's a complete tone setter, a hard hitter on defense, and it's something that the Giants have been lacking for a very long time. I think drafting Simmons here at fourth overall, you get your def your franchise defensive captain for the next X amount of years. So that's when you start to get this defense moving in the right direction. So I, Isaiah Simmons at fourth. I love that because Isaiah, Sim I, I when I. At, during the national championship game, I've heard I heard a draft guy say, you know, I've had people reach out to me and they say, you know, what position is Isaiah Simmons going to end up playing? And they said, and he said, defense, defense, <laughs> yep. defense. He's going to play defense. All right, here Just we go. Defense. With the fifth overall pick of the 2020 my Haystack mock draft, the Miami Dolphins select. Don't let the injury cloud your vision. They will take to attack of Iloa, the quarterback out of Alabama. Their future franchise quarterback, left-handed. A lot of people view the special. Decent athlete, really great accuracy. Smart kid, good kid. Uh, starts the rebuild of the franchise. Their first of three first-round picks. To attack of Iloa, quarterback Alabama goes number five to the Miami Dolphins. With the sixth pick of the 2020 Haystack mock draft, the L.A. Chargers select. Uh, I think this is time. I think it's time now. I think uh, the Chargers are definitely in win now mode. Uh, ugly season this year, kind of led by Philip Rivers on the on a pretty steady decline. So I think they they take advantage here and they draft Justin Herbert, quarterback from Oregon. Mm. One of the makes know, a lot of sense. Makes it does make a lot of sense. He can sit for a while if the Chargers decide not to explore trade options with Philip Rivers. Uh, get some good, get, yeah, get some good men. Uh, yeah, if he, if he stays. With Even with Tyrod Taylor, they can. Right. Even yeah. with Tyrod Taylor, there's a lot of good veteran presence there to, to mentor him for for possibly uh, taking the starting job eventually. And I think this is just a great, it's a great situation for him to be in. There's weapons and pro bowlers all around this kid. Uh, I think Justin Herbert goes to the Chargers at six. Let's just see if the Chargers look at Bridgewater. With the Another seventh, option, yeah. With the seventh pick of the 2020 Haystack mock draft, the Carolina Panthers select. Uh, this is, I think, their biggest team need. I know Luke Keekley retired, but after Isaiah Simmons is gone, I don't really think that there's a linebacker you could take in the top ten. They're going to take Derek Brown, the interior defensive lineman uh, from Auburn. This guy was a massive disruptor on the inside of the line. He's a great run stopper who's quick enough to be a pass rusher. They're getting older on the interior. They've got to get solid up in their front seven. Derek Brown's are... Should be ready to start right away. He'll be disruptive from day one. Derek Brown to Carolina makes a lot of sense. With the eighth pick of the 2020 Haystack Mock Draft, the Arizona Cardinals select. Uh, I think this is going to be a coin flip but uh, between two very good receivers, but I think the Arizona Cardinals take uh, Oklahoma receiver CeeDee Lamb at number eight. Uh, look, this franchise took a chance on Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. We saw this last season, what Kyler Murray could do. He looks like he could be... Your guy moving forward, I think bolstering that offense with C.D. Lamb moving forward, you know, uh, reestablishing that Oklahoma connection between him and Murray would be something special to watch. Uh, Lamb is an incredible receiver. Pro comp, I think, was DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, so I think they're going to go here with C.D. Lamb at eight. With the ninth pick in the 2020 Haystack mock draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars select. You know, I, I, this is something that I've seen for a while, uh, and it's I, I see Jacksonville taking a tackle. And I don't really see that happening. I just don't. They, I think they've got two good tackles already. Cam Robinson on the left. Jawan Taylor on the right. They have two good tackles. Interior line, there isn't a guy that you can take here. Uh, crazy to think, but... Uh, and I, I think they're going to go heavy defense. 
but to be honest, all the defensive guys that they would take this early are gone. I think they were hoping for Isaiah Simmons. Right now, I am going to take Jerry Judy, the wide receiver out of Alabama. I think he's the best route runner in the class. He could be the best route runner that we've seen in the past decade. Seriously, I think this guy's going to be a future superstar receiver. And you're giving Nick Foles or Gardner Minshew, whoever's going to start a quarterback next year for you, that some more receivers. You're giving him a better chance to succeed. Make that offense a little bit more potent. Jerry Judy, Alabama, goes to Jacksonville at 9. I don't love it, but I'm going to do it anyway. With the 10th overall pick of the 2020 Haystack Mock Draft, the Cleveland Browns select. Cleveland Browns have a lot of uh, a lot of areas to address. Uh, they made you know they made the coaching change. They have Stefanski coming in now. Uh, hopefully, that whole offense can figure things out, and you know uh, the cure to all problems in the NFL can be started by improving the offensive line. So I think they're going to take Jedrick Wills here off the tackle from Alabama. So I think it's just. Protect Baker Mayfield, give him time so he doesn't make any more bad decisions, throw, any more, throw as many interceptions as he did this season. Hopefully get this offense rolling, get a little bit more protection, a full season of Kareem Hunt now, also along with Chubb. Uh, just get this offense going in the right direction, and I think they do that here with Wills at 10. So, Evan, recap the top 10 for us. Since, well, uh, since we're – I don't want listeners to get lost, so well, what do we have through the first 10? Well, I, I actually lost – I actually don't – Oh, excellent. I don't have the names either. Oh, excellent. So great great job, Evan. Got, You're doing got, a great job producing, buddy. All right, nice. we got, You're off to a very hot start. We got the Bengals <laughs> taking Joe Burrow at one. The Redskins taking Chase Young at two. The Lions taking Jeffrey Okuda at number three. The Giants taking Isaiah Simmons at four. The Dolphins draft two attack of Iloa. The Chargers take Justin Herbert. The Panthers draft Derek Brown. The Cardinals draft CeeDee Lamb. We got Jerry Judy to the Jaguars at 9 and Jedrick Wills to the Browns at 10. All right, so here we go. Perfect. You're terrible. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. I love you, Evan. Don't worry. All right. Actually, I hate you. I know know the truth, Mike. I know the truth. (laughs) With the 11th pick in this Haystack 2020 mock draft, the New York J-E-T-S J-J-J select. Uh, Andrew Thomas, offensive tackle, Georgia. I, I, it makes a lot of sense. Look, they, if this ends up happening, they shouldn't be upset. I, I don't think the Jets like any other linemen. I think they're going to draft. Uh, they're going to try and fill up their offensive line with a with brand new tackles, brand new guards. You know, Jerry Judy would be the sexy pick here. He's fast. He's a great route runner. He'd help Sam Darnold a ton. But Andrew Thomas up front on the offensive line, I think, would improve that O-line incredibly. He's versatile. He can play guard if you need him to. But he'd be able to slide in right at right ta- uh, at left tackle and start right away. Andrew Thomas to the Jets make a, makes a lot of sense. With the 12th overall pick of the 2020 Haystack mock draft, the Oakland Raiders select. The Las Vegas Raiders now. Oh, yeah, Las Vegas Raiders. What's, I'm going to take them uh, taking Henry Ruggs, the wide receiver from Alabama. Good pick. A really good pick here. It fills a really big hole. He could be your wide receiver one going forward. You know, new city. Uh, these fans are expecting a lot. I think I think uh, Gruden's done a really nice job with the pieces that he's had around him. Uh, Josh Jacobs. I mean, that guy. That kid's a franchise running back. He's a sensational rookie here. Uh, you want to get Derek Carson weapons. That defense looks like it has a promising young core over the next couple of years. You know, Jonathan Abrams, Max Crosby. You know, all these guys. So I think drafting rugs here at twelve kind of gets your offense going in the right direction you to go. Henry Ruggs at 12 to the Raiders. With the 13th pick in the 2020 Haystack mock draft, the Indianapolis Colts select. Uh, I'm going to take Javon Kinlaw at 13. Here's Ooh, my, wow. Here's my thing. I, I think that 
One of the biggest weaknesses that Indianapolis has is on the defensive line. I think they've done a really good job in the secondary. They have some nice linebackers. Darius Leonard's a really good linebacker. Uh, Javon Kinlaw, here's the thing. He's 6'6", 310, and the guy moves like a pass rusher. He is so quick, so strong, and he's going to blow away the testing uh, period. Don't be surprised if Javon Kinlaw solidifies himself as a top 10 pick after the testing is done. But as of right now, I'm going to take Javon Kinlaw for the Colts at number 13. With the 14th pick of the 2020 A-Stack mock draft, the Denver Broncos select. No, no, no. Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Oh, Tampa, I the Buccaneers Sorry, Tampa, Tampa, Tampa Bay. Uh, I got the Buccaneers here taking Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, offensive tackle. Uh, again, you know, Bruce Arians, this is this is, uh, this is a big year for him in terms of decision-making with Jameis Winston at coming off a 30-30 and 30 season. Never seen him before. Uh, we need to get this man on track, see if he can actually give him one more chance to really establish whether or not he can effectively command your offense and he needs pass protection to do that. I think Tristan Wirfs coming out of Iowa can do a really nice job helping him do that. So Wirfs at 14 to the Buccaneers. Okay, now we go to the Denver Broncos with the 2020 ASAC mock draft number 15. They select. Well, the Denver Broncos are really pissed because they were hoping for Tristan Wirfs at 15. Um, but uh, listen, they're, they're getting a trade. Uh, no, <laughs> they're getting they're getting a little older at corner. Uh, Chris Harris is getting a little bit older. They they don't have much beyond that, so they're going to take uh, Christian Fulton, the corner out of LSU. Uh, I think he can rise up after the testing. He's got good size for a corner. Can play slot. Can play on the perimeter. Christian Fulton's a really nice player. Uh, showed it at LSU this year. Christian Fulton, the corner out of LSU, goes to the Broncos at 15. All right, with the 16th pick of the 2020 Haystack Fox draft, the Atlanta Falcons select. Uh, it seems that every year at some point, someone in the Falcons secondary gets hurt. There are injuries riddled everywhere. Don't do it. Don't do it. Injuries riddled Don't everywhere. Do Mike, Don't do it. I, I'm not Don't gonna do it. do it. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. I think they You're take. I think they take Trevon Diggs, cornerback from Alabama here. Uh, Showed real nice promise this year, even though Alabama didn't didn't get as far as they would hope. But I think it really helps their secondary a while. Uh, hopefully, it makes Dan Quinn's unit a little bit more effective. And with that, with a healthy defensive unit with uh, Desmond Trufant, uh, you got Vic Beasley, uh, Karis McKinley, guys like that. I think Diggs is a nice addition to that. So I'm taking Diggs at 16 to the Atlanta Falcons. It's actually not terrible. I wasn't expecting you to go corner there. I, know, I thought I, I thought I, Epinesa was gonna be like. Your guy by a lot. <laughs> no, I, I, I know where I want Ebenezer to go. Okay, Mike. Here we go. Here it is. For the 17th pick in the 2020 Haystack. You get to out. say it. Well, Mike, here's the thing. Now Mike I have McCart a decision to make. I don't know what to do. I didn't expect Ebenezer to be here. So I'm, th I'm thinking to myself, okay, the Cowboys have a lot. I have a couple of options. They could go D-line, right? There's no D-tackle here, but they could go edge rusher if they decide to not bring back Robert Quinn. They would need another edge rusher out uh, on the opposite side of Demarcus Lawrence. But at the very same time, Grant Delpit, the safety, is a guy that's been linked to them forever. So you know what? I'm going to do that. Uh, they're going to take Grant Delpit, the safety out of LSU. Uh, chances are they're going to be losing a lot of pieces in the secondary. They're going to go into next year with two safeties under contract. That's Xavier Woods and Donovan Wilson. Those are the only guys that got under contract. Everybody else is a free agent. And Grant Delpit, I think, could be a star in the NFL at safety. He's physical enough to play a box safety. He's good enough in coverage. I think he's going to be one of those Derwin James type situations where he's kind of slipping a little bit, but he'll prove his worth in the NFL. Grant Delpit to the Cowboys at 17. Miami Dolphins, you're back on the clock with the 18th pick of the 2020 Haystack mock draft. The Here Dolphins you go. Select. So uh, you got your offense 
franchise quarterback to attack of Iloa, I think, at five that we said. Uh, and this is where you're going to get your defensive one, A.J. Epinesa, the edge rusher from Iowa. He's uh, the second-ranked edge prospect after Chase Young. Uh, this kid's going to make an immediate impact in the NFL, and I think that uh, having two franchise cornerstones on both sides of the ball can really set the Miami Dolphins in full rebuild mode to kind of get this franchise going in the right direction. I think Zach Taylor is going to do a nice job developing these young players and hopefully get them where they want to go in the future. So AJ Epinesa at 18 to the Dolphins. With the 19th pick, the Oakland Raiders are back on the clock. The Raiders select... First of all, AJ Epinesa to the Dolphins. If that actually happens, they're going to be jumping and screaming with how happy steal, yeah. that is. Unbelievable. Uh, all right, Oakland. Look, they took Henry Ruggs at twelve, which I thought was a dynamite pick. Give Derek Carr another weapon. Uh, how about this? They go to the defensive side of the football. It's going to be a tad bit of a reach, even though I've heard this guy can go top twenty. Uh, they are going to take Kenneth Murray, the linebacker wow. out of Oklahoma. Okay. Now here's the thing. Dylan Moses, I think, was the best linebacker in the draft. He decided to go back to Alabama. Kenneth Murray now kind of takes that spot after Isaiah Simmons. But Kenneth Murray at this point, he's fast. He can cover. Listen, he's not. The only problem with Kenneth Murray is is that there are times where he isn't the best decision maker. But good defensive coaches over there in Oakland, they just need to accumulate talent on that side of the football. Kenneth Murray goes in at 19 to the Oakland Raiders. The 20th pick in the 2020 Haystack Mock Draft. The Jacksonville Jaguars back on the clock. They select. Uh, so they lost uh, their one of their best players on defense this season to uh, the Los Angeles Rams. So I think they're going to look to bolster that corner spot here and take C.J. Henderson from Florida at 20. Uh, they need someone to go opposite A.J. Boye. Uh, their defense is not as dominant as it was a couple years ago. They need to get back on track and get back to where they want to go. And I think that starts the cornerback position. Their front seven is still pretty serviceable with you know guys like Telvin Smith, Clays Campbell. So uh, C.J. Henderson at 20, I think, would be a great addition to uh, bolster this Jaguar secondary at 20. So to recap, Browns take Andrew Thomas at 10. The Jets take Tristan Wirfs at number uh, – I'm sorry, Henry Ruggs at number 11. The Raiders take Javon Kinlaw at number 12. The Indianapolis Colts take Tristan Wirfs at 13. The you're, Buccaneers you're off by one, yeah, Evan. You're, 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 you're trailing. One? You're trailing. You're off yeah. by one. You're yeah, you, right, see – you guys should recap things. All right, so Matt, re- right. recap it again. All right, so the Browns the Brown, two for two. The you're Browns, doing a great job DJing, Evan. It's all right. The Browns take Jedrick Wills at uh, at ten. The jo- uh, the Jets take Andrew Thomas at eleven. The Raiders take Henry Ruggs at twelve. The Colts take Javon Kinlaw at thirteen. The Bucks take Tristan Wirfs at fourteen. The Broncos take Christian Fulton at fifteen. Uh, Falcons take Trevon Jakes at sixteen. The Cowboys select Grant Delpit at seventeen. Dolphins get AJ Epinesa at eighteen. The Raiders once again on the clock take Kenneth Murray at nineteen, and the Jaguars take CJ Henderson at twenty. Okay, now I get back to the thing I'm good at. <laughs> twenty-one <laughs> at twenty-one, the Philadelphia Eagles select in the Haystack Muck Draft. All the corners are gone. Like they, re- the thing really got screwed out of corners. They're all gone. Um, this is tough because it's not like there's anybody here. Um, you know what? Here's what I'm gonna do. Trade. No. I'm gonna give him a wide receiver that can do a lot of different things. He can play out of the backfield. He can play in the slot. He can play on the perimeter if he has to. I am gonna take Lavisca Chenault, wow. the wide receiver out of Colorado. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I I think he can do a lot of different things. He's fast. He's uh, really versatile on offense. He's got good size, 6'2", 220. Again, you can use him out of the backfield if you have to. Wow. Chenault goes to the 
Philadelphia Eagles at 21. Okay, at number 23 in the 2020 Haystack Mock Drafts. 22. Patriots, so God, I, Evan, you are. I said 22, right? Nice no, you said 23. Said 23. 22, the Buffalo Bills. All right, well, back on the it, clock. it's good you took Chanel because that frees up my wide receiver pick here. So I think the Buffalo Bills take T. Higgins, wide receiver from Clemson here. Uh, you know, they again, they're... They don't. They really lack a true wide receiver one. I mean, John Brown can do the job pretty well. Cole, Be- Cole Beasley's a nice slot guy. Uh, they got their running back situation figured out with Singletary. He looks like he could be a nice player, but I think uh, taking T. Higgins could uh, give Josh Allen another weapon uh, to really take this offense to the next step. So I think uh, Buffalo takes T. Higgins at 22. Here we go. Now the Patriots are on the clock at 23 in the haystack clock round. All right, here Ooh, we go. You got it. Here we go. It's time. The New England Patriots at 23 are going to select Jake Fromm, the quarterback out of Georgia. Uh, Listen, I I think uh, it's time. You got to take a quarterback at this point. Uh, Because to be honest with you, Tom Brady's at the the steady decline. And I know people are going to say, oh, well, Jordan Love, they'll be able to develop him. Jordan Love is so raw, he's going to need a ton of time to develop. Jake Fromm, I think, could step in from day one and be a nice quarterback for you. Uh, Him and Bill Belichick, they're both incredibly smart guys. Football IQ is off the charts for Jake Fromm. Belichick will love coaching this kid. Jake Fromm, quarterback out of Georgia, goes 23 to the Patriots. With the 24th overall pick of the 2020 Haystack Mock Draft, the New Orleans Saints select. This is interesting. I honestly can't believe that he fell this far down, but uh, I think the, the Saints are really going to try to bolster this uh, this edge rushing and select Caleb on Chason from LSU. Oh, wow. Put him opposite Cam Jordan and create just a nightmare of a defensive line with uh, him, Cam Jordan, and Marcus Davenport going along with Kiko Alonso in the middle. I think this is going to be a really scary Saints defense going forward. Again, another immediate starter that can really just make this a scary defense for NFC opponents. For the 25th pick of the 2020 Haystack Rock Draft, the Minnesota Vikings select. God, they need a, they need a corner and they need offensive line. I just... Again, they're all gone. That's the problem. (laughs) In seriousness, they're all gone. All right. Uh, They're going to take a flyer here. I'm going to go Jeff Gladney, the cornerback out of TCU. Uh, I've seen a lot of first round from him, six foot 183. Uh, Listen, they've got to get more, they've got to get deeper at corner. I love this defense, but Xavier Rhodes coming off a bad year. They suffered a lot of injuries along that. Uh, along that corner staff. But it, listen, if they're healthy, you get Roge, you get Gladney, you get Mackenzie Alexander, Trey Waynes, Mike Hughes. You're actually getting loaded at that position. You just need somebody that'll stay on the field, somebody that's really reactive, somebody that's uh, uh, that's athletic. Jeff Gladney is that player. Cornerback at a TCU for the Vikings at 25. At 26 in the 2020 Haystack Mock Draft, the Miami Dolphins with their third selection in the first round. Miami Dolphins at their third selection will take another immediate impact day one starter that's going to absolutely tear up this league. I say they take Jonathan Taylor, the running back out of Wisconsin. Oh, nice. Rounding out the third round. The, I love that guy. Rounding out the third round in just one round of, of the NFL draft, the Miami Dolphins will have their franchise quarterback, running back, and edge rusher for the next, for the foreseeable future, and they're all studs. Matt, I, I, love, Matt, this, I love your foundation. If that happens for the Dolphins, for the Dolphins they're going to be screaming. They're going to be just fainting and needing in, inhalers all around. You talk about franchise building blocks right there, Matt. That's gold. Absolutely. With the 27th overall pick in the 2020 Haystack Mock Draft, the Seattle Seahawks select. 
Really easy for me. Uh, Makai Becton, offensive tackle, Louisville. Uh, this one's pretty easy. They need offensive line. They need a tackle. Jermaine Fetty is so bad at right tackle. They've got to find a way to protect Russell Wilson, who they just paid $35 million a year. Makai Becton's your guy at 27. With the 28th pick in the 2020 Haystack mock draft, the Baltimore Ravens select him. Maddie, I swear if you take a running back here, I, think, I will throw a baseball at your head. I think this is a, I think this is a really good selection here. They're at a great spot, and I think they're destined to be together right here. I'm going to take Justin Jefferson. Nice pick. The wide receiver from LSU had a fantastic 1,000-yard season in, in, in the historic season at LSU. Uh, Giving that, giving Lamar Jackson this young core of Justin Jefferson and Marquise Brown, nice pairing pick. up, with, pairing up with Mark Andrews for the next couple of years could really just put this offense over the top. We already saw the heights that this offense can reach. This would just really push them over the edge. So Justin Jefferson at 28 to the Ravens. I love that. Evan, That's Evan good, Mazza, right? Evan Mazza approves that. Evan Mazza seal of approval. Give him a, give him a wide receiver that's got some serious catch radius. Oh That's yeah. a great just go, pick. Just go up and get it. Absolutely. With the 29th overall pick, the team that upset the Baltimore Ravens and the Patriots, Tennessee Titans, select. Uh, this one's actually pretty easy. Fell right into their lap. I'm going to take Yeeter Gross Matos, the Good edge pick. rusher out of Penn State. Listen, they've got to get better off the edge. Harold Landry is a beast. There's no problem with that. But on the other edge, they've got to get somebody that's uh, that's versatile. He can play in a 3-4. He can play in a 4-3. Uh, and he's just he's so big and so physical. Mike Vrabel loves those type of guys. Think about that. You're he Eater Grossmatos, Harold Landry, and Jarrell Casey in the in the front. There you go. I absolutely love it. Eater Grossmatos uh, from Penn State, the edge rusher, goes to Tennessee at 29. Now, obviously, all these draft picks are doing right now, all pending on what happens in the title game in the Super Bowl. So, as I'm now with the 30th pick in the 2020 Haystack Box Draft, the Green Bay Packers select. So, uh, there's a lot of different directions you could go here. Uh, I think that they have a really nice uh, young defense and a really nice young offense, and I think they could do a lot at the wide receiver position, but you know, all of the all of the good ones are kind of gone already, so I'm going to say they take Xavier McKinney, the safety from Alabama, pairing him, you got Jire Alexander, you got Kevin King and all these other guys, young defensive core, put him in the back, I think that could really kind of sort of round out this defense to really give it a true identity for the next couple of years going forward. I think Xavier McKinney safety at 30 to the Packers. Xavier McKinney can also play corner, so if they if they want to roll with Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos at safety, Great they, 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 could, yeah. they, could, right, they could move McKinney to corner and just stock up on secondary pieces. And Absolutely. Just, that's not terrible. I don't, I don't hate that. With the 31st overall pick of the 2020 Haystack mock draft, the Kansas City Chiefs select... You know, this is really tough <laughs> because they need defense in the worst way. They really do. They're really hoping for a corner to slip. But you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna swing for the fences here. I'm going to take J.K. Dobbins, the Ooh. running back out of Ohio State. They got to be able to get on the ground, control the clock a little bit, rely a little bit less on Patrick Mahomes, give him a real bell cow back. A guy that is climbing up boards, one of the best running backs in the country, J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State, goes to the Chiefs at 31. With the 32nd and final pick of the 2020 Haystack first round mock draft, the San Francisco 49ers. Is Mike, I, I, if you were going to pick him, I was going to pick the other. I say the, I say, uh, the 49ers take uh, Travis Etienne right here from wow. the right, running back from Clemson. Again, another thing to give Jimmy Garoppolo another weapon. You know, everyone talks about the defense. Everyone talks about how amazing this front seven is and how Garoppolo is kind of just skating by. Uh, you know, they got, listen, they got a nice receiving core. They have uh, Kittle, who's top two or three tight end in the league. 
uh, Emmanuel Sanders, uh, Debo Samuel. They got nice pieces here, and uh, they have a great plethora of running backs. You know, the, the Tevin Coleman's, the Mostert's. They have a, they have still McKinnon waiting in the wings, but uh, they don't really have a good ground and pound between the tackles running back. So I think taking Travis Etienne here, uh, rounding it out, could really uh, push the 49ers over the edge. So they take Travis Etienne with the final pick in this mock draft. All right, so here's what we're looking at right now. So Joe Burrow goes to the Bengals at one, Chase Young to the Redskins at two, Jeffrey Okuda to the Lions at three, Isaiah Simmons to the Giants at four, two attack of Iloa to the Dolphins at five, uh, Justin Herbert to the Chargers at six, Derek Brown goes to the Panthers at seven, CeeDee Lamb goes to the Cardinals at eight, Jerry Judy to the Jaguars at nine, Jedrick Wills goes to the Browns at 10, Andrew Thomas to the Jets at 11, Henry Ruggs to the Raiders at 12, Javon Kinlaw to the Colts at 13, Tristan Wirfs goes to the Buccaneers at 14, Christian Fulton to the Broncos at 15, Trayvon Diggs goes to the Falcons at 16, Grant Delpit goes to the Cowboys at 17, AJ Epinesa goes to the Dolphins at 18, Kenneth Murray goes to the Raiders at 19, and CJ Henderson goes to the Jaguars at 20, and then as for playoff teams, LaVisca Chenault goes to the Eagles at 21. T. Higgins goes to the Bills at 22. Jake Fromm goes to the Patriots at 23. Kalevon Chason goes to the Saints at 24. Jeff Gladney goes to the Vikings at 25. Jonathan Taylor to the Dolphins at 26. Makai Becton goes to the Seahawks at 27. Justin Jefferson goes to the Ravens at 28. Uh, Yeter Grossmatos goes to the Titans at 29. Xavier McKinney goes to the Packers at 30. J.K. Dobbins goes to the Chiefs at 31. And Travis Etienne goes to the 49ers at 32. So there we go. Honestly, if this draft goes exactly like this, I would be very, very satisfied. Not even tooting our own horn, but like if they if it went exactly like this, I think this would be a I think this would be a very, very good, very good draft. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, let me tell you this: the only two things that I would change. 100% that I would absolutely 100% change is uh, definitely would have tried to go, you know what? You know, probably not even because they're all off the board. That's the problem. I was going to say Packers really got to go offense. Like they really need wide receivers, but they're all gone. Yeah, exactly. That's why I didn't. Yeah, they're all gone. And then ETN to the 49ers, you're going to be reaching for a corner. Yeah, all right. I'm into that. I'm into it. I don't. I didn't love Jerry Judy to the Jaguars either, but Lamb and Judy. I was. Went, I was stuck with that. You Lamb, know what I Lamb mean. Lamb and Judy went back to back, which I don't see. I don't think will happen either. I don't think that'll end up happening. Who goes first? I guess is the question. Yeah, Seems I don't like think. C- I don't C-D think. Lamb is kind well, of, you really threw a wrench into the works when you took Simmons at four. Like if Simmons go, Simmons goes at four, I think it shakes up things. Sorry, dude. It's gonna happen. <laughs> it, it, very, it could. It I'm better. Sad. I'll lose my freaking mind. We have breaking news: the New York Giants trade down in the first round and select off, off the select, air and off select the Justin Herbert. <laughs> they off, take a quarterback they take, they off take, the air. I'm going to murder both of you. They take running back. They select Jason Garrett. Running back, Jonathan. That Taylor. might happen, dude. That might happen. He might. I, don't be surprised if within the next week, Jason Garrett is the offensive coordinator for the Giants. Which All right, be a bad hire. No. All right, coming up next, Evan. I told you this was going to happen. Uh... I'm going to do my playoff confidence rankings, how every team based on their confidence should feel this morning 
going forward into the playoffs. That's coming up next. The Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Worldwide Sports Radio presents the, 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 the Haystack Show with Mike Guido. Hour two, here we go on a Friday. It's the Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Mike Guido, Evan Mazza, Matt Catarizzolo, it's good to have you in. Uh, plenty of stuff to go over today. Rayad Zelowitz coming on in about 10 minutes. Uh, I, w- I do want to get this through, though. We got playoff games tonight. Uh, I, uh, not tonight, I'm sorry, on Sunday, uh, this weekend. And I think there are going to be two really entertaining games. Uh, I-, I told you, I think that there's going to be there's different levels of entertainment value with these matchups. So I ranked them. You know, I think the Niners-Chiefs is obviously our best-case scenario. I think Titans-Packers is our worst-case scenario. So up to this point, here we go with this. I think that there's different levels of confidence that each team has going into this weekend, and here we go. So the team that is least confident going into this weekend is Green Bay. They got to go into San Francisco after losing 37 to 8 over the uh, in the regular season of them I, I mean it, it, the Packers cannot feel confident in this weekend yeah oh they have Aaron Rodgers oh stop like the Niners I think are clearly a better team everybody knows they're a better team San Francisco took control of the Vikings who the Vikings are d- were threatening the with uh the Packers with the division. I, I mean, I, I, I'm telling you, this is not going to be a fun night for Green Bay. It really is not. Green Bay just should not feel confident going into this weekend. They're the least confident. They're number four. Number three, Kansas City. I'm telling Kansas City is. Listen, I. I'll say this. Kansas City's confident. They are not a team that is going to be on their heels like, oh, my God, we're going to lose. No, 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 no. No, they're going to be fine. The pro- the thing is, is that they're going to be going up against a team that is on this crazy run right now. That They're going to feel like, oh, yeah, the run's going to stop with us. The, but in the back of their mind, they're thinking, uh, what if? <laughs> what if this kind of tramples over us? That They know that they're going to have trouble stopping the run. So I, I listen. I think they're going to be they're going to be confident. They're going to be okay. But if you look at what the Chiefs do, that they're going to have to pass the ball. They're going to have to get over that defense, and they're going to be able to. They're going to have to stop Derrick Henry. Not sure how much confidence they can fit, put in that. Kansas City's number three. Number two, Tennessee. I, I'm serious. The Tennessee Titans, I think, should feel really confident going into this weekend. Uh, like I said, crazy magical run for them. They've taken out the two behemoths of the AFC in the Ravens and the Patriots. I mean, it's just it makes a whole it makes a, a lot of sense for them to feel incredibly confident in their uh, in themselves. They're feeling really good. That they've got this fresh, crazy vibe going. Right when my, with Mike Vrabel thinking about he's got to chop off his man parts. I mean, th- thinking about the, they are feeling it right now. They have a Nationals thing to them. They're underdogs. Nobody believes in them. They've got nothing to lose. Tennessee feels really good about themselves right now. They're number two. And then number one, San Francisco. Again, I think San Francisco right now is the clear-cut favorite for the Super Bowl. They're blowing out teams. They go into a game where they just – they're blowing – 
the, the last time they played this team that they're playing in the NFC Championship game, they blew them out 37-8, to and they're playing them again in their home building. They feel so confident right now. They're blowing teams out. They're rested. They're playing well. I, I mean, San Francisco, they, get, they got the extra day off. The, San Francisco feels really good right now. Offensively, defensively, they know that the uh, offensive line for the Packers gives them trouble a little bit. But I'll, I'll tell you what, pass rushers, th- those pass rushers, that defensive line is going to wreak havoc. They're going to be able to control the clock. I mean, everything is working in San Francisco's favor. They are number one. So from least confident to most confident, Packers, Chiefs, Titans, Niners. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think the list is pretty good. I I, I would still I think I would put Tennessee at number one. My uh, Tennessee. I mean, when you beat when you go on the road and beat the beat the Ravens and the Patriots, like you said, they're playing with they're playing with house money. They they have nothing to lose. They've already succeeded their season. They're coming in confident in their abilities. They believe in themselves. They believe they can win. They're tough. Uh, San Francisco, I would put. I, know, I would also, yeah, I put them at number two. They're, they just they dominated Minnesota. They played great against them. KC would be tough to put them at least at number two because I, I would think about putting the Chiefs number two because of the fact you came back down twenty four nothing. That is such a huge momentum builder to your team, a huge belief in your team. Uh, you know, coming back down twenty four nothing. You're playing. You're playing in the AFC conference title game now because of that. Yeah, I, I be it's kind. Of, I would actually think about putting Kansas City at number two with uh, with San Francisco. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely see how you could make the argument for Tennessee at number one. I mean, they again, the underdog mentality, everything that they've overcome this season, you know. But they are also nine and seven. They were also nine and seven, even after starting two and four, making the switch from Mariota to Tannehill. Uh, Derrick Henry just having this sensational postseason and, and regular season too. Uh, you could definitely make the case that they're number one, but uh, at the end of the day, you just got to look at who's the better team on paper, and I think that uh, San Francisco is is pretty far and away the favorite, uh, at least out of the NFC. So uh, I do agree that Packers will be at number four. Uh, I do like Kansas City at three, even though what Evan just said is is super accurate. They, I mean, coming down, going on a fifty-one to seven run is nothing to nothing to look over. Uh, but, yeah, you can definitely make a case for Tennessee at number one, but I have no problem saying that the Niners are the clear-cut confidence favorites. So, yeah, I agree. I think all, and all three of us would agree, yeah, Green Bay would be number four in terms of that. Now, that doesn't take away that Green Bay isn't, isn't coming in with confidence. I do think Green Bay thinks that they can oh, go for, to San yeah, for sure. them. They, they have the, con- the kind of team to, to do it. Um, yeah, but they're, they're going into the worst it's a, no, situation. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, definitely the worst the, situation. The Packers, the last time they played, it isn't like when the Titans played the Chiefs and the Titans snuck it out by three. No, uh, they like, got blown out. I mean, the Packers lost by 30. <laughs> like, no, no, but, gonna, you don't think in the back of the mind, I hope we don't get blown out again. Well, also like, they can't be feeling confident going into this weekend. They just can't. Well, they a, cannot be. Second time around the playoffs is always a different story. You know, I definitely, I, I am going to, I do think San Fran's going to win this football game, but I do think it's going to be pretty darn competitive. The, I think Green Bay has got a whole week yeah. to look at through film. They, they probably understand what they did wrong against San Francisco, so I, I, I will still pick San Fran to win, but I definitely think Green Bay is going to be a lot better on this one. It'll definitely be a lot close. So, but there you have it. Tennessee is just, at this point with Tennessee, I wouldn't be shocked if, they, I wouldn't be shocked if Tennessee completed the road, completed this trio and beating the Niners, beating the Chiefs and the Ravens and the Patriots, just completing it and going to the Super Bowl. It wouldn't shock me at all if they did it because, again, when you're hot, you're hot. Uh, 
but I think I just think Kansas City is just too. Kansas City is just. It's the Kansas City. It, this is the Chiefs' time now, right? This is their time, right? Right. Got to figure that the Ravens are out, the Patriots are out. They can't, you know, those those two teams can't stop them on the road to the Super Bowl. They they beat the Texans. This is the Chiefs. You got to figure if there's any opportunity, the Chiefs have a wide open opportunity to go to the Super Bowl with Pat Mahomes at quarterback, but. You know, the window is definitely wide open now to get to a Super Bowl on Sunday against against Tennessee. But Tennessee is coming in with Tennessee is coming in with all the momentum in the world right now. Nothing to lose. We'll see. We'll see. I think it's going to be a great weekend. We'll pick them in a little bit. All right. Uh, with that, uh, Ray Anzelowitz coming on in a couple of minutes. Our inside NBA man. Also, he's got an event coming up. He do, He does. And. Yours truly will be doing a little bit of play-by-play for that event. Uh, so even if you just want to go there just to see me and say hello, you absolutely can. I'm good-looking. So, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll have Ray on in a couple of minutes. Coming up next, the Haystack of the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Haystack Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Great to have you back. Haystack Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Mike, Evan, Matt here on a Friday. Uh, allow me to bring on now Ray Anzelowitz, president of Gotham Hoops, our uh, inside NBA man. Before we get into anything, Ray, so um, I, you have an, uh, an event coming up, Holy Cross High School in Queens. Uh, I'll be doing play-by-play for the event. Kind of enlighten us on what this event is. No, of course. I appreciate it. So this is our third annual Gotham Hoops Winter Classic. It is a uh, showcase featuring boys' high school and postgraduate teams. This year we'll have 16 teams from across the Northeast. About, uh, I think, nine are coming from the state of New York. We'll have another few from Jersey, Connecticut, and then a couple coming down from Maine and even one from uh, New Brunswick, Canada. So, um, again, this is our third year doing it. I think this is our most talented field from top to bottom. We'll have 10 total games, five on Saturday, January 25th, and then another five on Sunday, January 26th. And really, it's an opportunity for players to boost their recruitment and play in front of college coaches. So, um, like you said, you'll be on the play-by-play. We'll hopefully be live streaming the event. And um, it's just a great opportunity for these guys to play, not only, again, in front of college recruiters, but also in front of um, family and friends. And um, it should just be a great couple of days of basketball. No, it, it really is a great event. I've done it for the past two years. Uh, when they when you were first looking for play-by-play guys, I was the guy that stepped in. Uh, and just recently, I started bringing a guy with me, one of my guys, Xavier Clyburn, who serves as my color guy. I worked with him over at uh, otgbasketball.com when I was doing scouting for them. Um but all right, so let's get into some NBA stuff. Okay, so did you, you and I got into a pretty decent conversation last week about Kyle Kuzma, right? How he's kind of factoring in with the Lakers. I, he drops four against Orlando. He shoots two for ten, and this was this was Kuzma's big bugaboo from the second he set in the, uh, set foot in the league. Is he's going to have those days where he's a big volume scorer? He's going to shoot the lights out of the building, but he's Either one of two extremes. Usually shoots the lights out of the building, which seems to be the lesser of the two, or he's as inefficient of a player as there is in the league. What's the answer for Kuzma and the Lakers right now? It doesn't make sense to me. First, I'm going to nitpick. I don't think you can say someone drops four. I think there needs to be a minimum. <laughs> <laughs> I think he drops like, four. I think it needs drops. to be like at least double digits. Um, 
I didn't, I didn't realize I was banned from using particular terminology based on how much how many. Po- I don't think you can say somebody drops four. Agreed. Yeah, you don't you don't hear that you don't hear that very often. Drop is so if I, you if, can't if, drop if, if, if four. I hear, if I hear that next weekend, I might have to boot you from from the play by play. Oh, the good. Oh, he's dropped two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, on, on that note, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Kuzma was almost too good too early, and uh, he was getting a ton of acclaim, and his ceiling was, was sky high at the time when he, when he just came into the league out of Utah. And it was interesting because he was in a class or, or among the class of guys like, uh, like Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram, and he was the one that, that really rose to the occasion. And... Um, again, I, I, I really need to look into it more if, if the Pelicans wanted Ingram more than the Lakers wanted to keep Kuzma, um, just because I'm so fascinated with the idea that, that those two could, could be in, um, in reversed roles right now. But at the end of the day, um, I, don't think, I don't think Kuzma will live up to the expectations that he garnered when he first entered the league and, and, um, and came out um, and, and came out on fire. So I think he's the odd man out there, potentially a couple other guys. But I think I think with uh, Kuzma's value, and I mentioned this before, I think the only thing that's going to be tricky in dealing him is his contract. Um, and and we'll see. But again, I, I think he's he's the odd man out in, in L.A. and and he'll find a home in, in another city where he could potentially be um, uh, another big piece to um, to a rising franchise. I mean, it's just it, it's really interesting to see, right? Because he's. The, the Lakers were just like, all right, if we're going to trade for AD, we got to be able to keep Kuzma. Like we got, we have to keep Kuzma. He's going to be the third piece, everything like that. He's literally been everything but that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's like, I'll be honest with you. It, you look at the Lakers roster. Kuzma's what their eighth or ninth guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's actually pretty crazy. We thought this Lakers team wasn't going to be deep at all. They're actually incredibly deep, and Kuzma doesn't have a spot. I mean, it's it really is unbelievable. I, th- I, think, um, I, I think they have the best bench in the NBA. Well, the, the thing and, is, and, is and you can even exclude, you're right, and you can and you can exclude Kuzma. I, I felt that way while he was on the bench, and or rather when when he was hurt and he wasn't able to play, and and he, and that he hasn't changed my mind about him as far as his performance or lack thereof. I mean, look, the Lakers are still really good. They're thirty three and eight right now, so they're they're still really good. Here's my thing, though, is that Kuzma doesn't serve them. A serious purpose. He's awful defensively. He can't play defense whatsoever. And offensively, if he's going to shoot two for ten, why have him on the floor? He, he is beyond consistent on the offensive end of the floor, which is um, which is something that, that you can't have, especially when you're chasing a championship. Uh, it's really, really crazy. All right. Um, shifting now. Uh, Brooklyn. They're 18-22 and 22, sitting right now. Kyrie Irving just come, came back from injury. He then goes off and he says, yeah, I think it's a pretty glaring hole. We definitely need another piece that could, you know, that could help me and Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie and KD, who, by the way, hasn't played a game this year. That, you know, Jared Allen. That, that you need another piece? What, isn't that what you were supposed to be? Like, to me, this is just not... A great look on Kyrie Irving. He just doesn't make it easy to be a likable NBA star. I know. He doesn't make it easy on himself. And he's my favorite player to and watch. I, lo- I yeah. love watching the guy, but God, Ray, he's a pain in the ass. He's fascinating to watch, but just as a person, you're just not sure what he's what's going on in his head. How do you feel about it, Ray? I'm, I'm not a... 
I'm not a fan of, of his uh, off-court. I, I, it's hard to call them antics, but just um, the way that, that he presents himself and, and the way that it, um, it sheds light on the team. I mean, he, he, did, he did a little bit of the same uh, up in Boston uh, a year ago, so it can't come as a, as a full surprise. But uh, I'm with you. I mean, he and KD were supposed to be those pieces. So um, I don't know if it's as much – I mean, people are saying it's a slight to all the players that he didn't name. I think Joe Harris is one of them, and Harris has been terrific for the Nets for the past couple of years. But, I mean, the fact that, that Kyrie can sit there and, and, and confidently say that between himself and, and Kevin Durant that, they th that he thinks they need a, another one or two pieces – I mean, that may even say more about them and what they can do on the court than, than anything else. But it was unnecessary. It was uncalled for. And not to get into a whole other topic, but um, I, I heard, uh, I believe, uh, Jessica Mendoza the other day mention that she was disappointed with how the whistleblower for the Astros whole, <laughs> whole thing, um, she was disappointed that he went public with it, but understood that if, she, if the player just told his teammates about what was going on, that, that would be completely different. So, and I, I say that in comparison where Kyrie should have went to GM Sean Marks and even ownership and expressed his frustrations or, or ideas for, to improve the team. Instead of he, he, he went to the media, and, and that was unnecessary, and, um, and it's only going to be um, a deterrent for the team moving forward. Here's my problem, right? It's, he just got back. Like He's played 14 games this year. 14 and yeah, he's, he's averaging 27 points a game. Kyrie Irving's great. There's no problem with that. But think about this. You mentioned the, de the depth of this roster, right? The Kyrie, let's exclude KD for a second. Kyrie, Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie, Garrett Temple, Wilson Chandler, Jared Allen, Rodion's Kurdoks, uh, Torian Prince, Zanon Musa, DeAndre Jordan. Like, this is, this is not a bad roster. This roster is loaded with talent. Okay, they can go. They go ten deep already without KD. Is it fair for me to say that Kyrie can't lead a team to success? Like Kyrie by himself isn't enough. I think it's very fair, and I think that's the that's the reason why he was successful in Cleveland because he had arguably one of the arguably the best player of all time um, uh, on the court right next to him in LeBron James. And then he went to a stacked Boston team where, where they, they only really um, succeeded at a high level when he wasn't playing because they were, what, a game away from making the finals um, with, with a young Jalen Brown and, and, and um, Jason Tatum and Gordon Hayward was obviously out for the year right. um, that season as well. And then when that entire team is back, and including Kyrie, um, they were um, completely a disappointment and underachieved. And now, in, and now in Brooklyn, I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie has been a bright light for them um, while Kyrie, in Kyrie's absence. And then, uh, like you said, the, the first game Kyrie's back, and they lose to, I understand, I believe it was an under, undermanned um, Philly team without Joel Embiid. But um, uh, Jalen Rose mentioned this. He's, I mean, that, that's, not, that's nothing to, to go home and, and be upset about. I mean, Philly, Philly's a better team even without Joel Embiid on it, uh, on the court. So, um, but at the end of the day, it's just come full circle. I don't think Kyrie can be the one and only superstar on a team and lead them to um, uh, uh, playoff success. I, I'll, I'll say that. I, I'm with you. I am 100% with you on that. I think it's fair to say that. Um, all right, so shifting from, uh, from Brooklyn, let's go, uh, let's go to the Clippers, okay? Because Clippers are 7-3 and three in their last 10. They're playing good basketball right now. They, after the Lakers lost to the Magic 
at Staples. The Clippers beat them in Staples by 30, right? So uh, are we feeling a little bit different about the Clippers today? Are they, are they catching up in some ground here? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you and I could, could feel very differently about this, but when I, when I was so high on them to, to entering the season and then when the Lakers got off to such a hot start and, I mean, they're, they're still playing out of their mind and the Clippers took a step back, I didn't think it was a significant step back. Um, I just thought it went from, I mean, could easily just be 1A, 1B right now, but I think the Lakers are just a smidge uh, above the, the Clippers. So, um, I, I mean, I think the Clippers are doing are, – I didn't expect them to fall off is what I'm trying to say. So I, I think they're, they're playing at the level where I pretty much um, uh, saw them playing once, once the Lakers really established themselves as, as the, the leader um, uh, in, in L.A. So it, here's, here's something I want to bring up to you because this is really interesting to me. Uh, I think you should have bought into the Grizzlies this year than, <laughs> the, rather than last year. I was a year or two late. Then, yeah, I think yeah, you were a year early on this. Um, but the Grizzlies are eight and two in their last ten. They've won their last six games, and John Morant is already, you know, kind of bringing the house down with this uh, with this league a little bit. Okay, had twenty six five and eight against Houston uh, in Memphis. I, I mean. The kid's legit, Ray. Yep. No, absolutely. <laughs> now, you tell me right now, because this is going to be something where yeah, I, I heard a GM, an anonymous GM in the league, right? Anonymous GM comes out and says, oh, well, I, if it were me with the number one pick, I would have taken Ja Morant over Zion Williamson. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> hindsight's, I, I get it. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but... Let's be real, okay? If you didn't take Zion with the number one pick in this year's draft, the day after the draft, you would have been fired. Like, give me a break. Do do you think that there's any truth to Zion, John Morant, Josh should have been the number one pick, people were thinking about him being the number one pick? Just break that whole situation down for me. I'll I'll compare this to DeAndre Aiden and Luka Doncic. Really? Why not? You think that this is that? No, I, I, I don't. I'm not saying that that's how I believe or, or what I believe, rather. But I'm saying at the end of the day, that could be the scenario where DeAndre Aiden is going to have a fine career, an above average career. He'll, be, he'll probably be a multi-time all-star when it's all said and done. Um, but he's, not, he's never going to lead a team to a championship. Um, and I thought the David Robinson comparisons, I don't know if, I mean, I've heard that. I don't know if, if, you, if you felt the same way. I thought that was a little bit far-fetched. I think he just had too much going for him with playing high school in Arizona, going to U of A, then being selected by the hometown team um, with the number one pick. And um, it's, it's, it's the one thing you can't teach is size, and that's what he had. But um, there's no doubt about it that not only the Kings, but the Phoenix Suns missed the boat on Luka Doncic. And, um, and again, I mean, it, it, it's hard to say. It, we're, we're, we got to sit here and predict what Zion will will be when he when he comes to the league and when he's fully healthy i think he's going to make his um his first appearance on the 22nd against the spurs but i mean it's just the fact with how how easily ja has transitioned and and got himself acclimated to the to the the style of play in the nba and it seems to be perfectly suited for him and i, I do think zion will have um uh, a bigger learning mm-hmm. curve because of his inability to stretch the floor and be a consistent or rather a, a three-point threat where teams are just going to sit back and make him shoot. And, um, and he's going to have bigger bodies to go up against uh, in the paint in the NBA than he did in college. And, um, and of course, he, he, um, he's a freak of nature, so that may not stop him um, uh, too many times. But at the end of the day, I mean, Ja has, has risen above 
um, everyone's expectations, and, and uh, he's playing right well, and I think he deserves all the, all the credit in the world right now. Uh, well, uh, that actually leads perfectly into my next question. Do you think Zion, because you, you mentioned he's making his debut, you think Zion struggles early out of the gate? Oh. Like, what, what, do you, what do you think about what, the impact he's going to make? This is going to be the first time that he's played f- five-on-five or legitimate five-on-five in months. And then some, because I mean, what he played like one or two games in, in summer league, and um, which and, he dominated which in he, summer league. Correct, but but those are uh, at the end of the day. And again, I, I don't mean to take anything away from him, but you're playing against a handful of NBA players. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot, right. of, a lot of those guys are still fighting for roster spots, and a lot of those guys, if you look back, on they're the, G League guys. Um, and if that, and 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 um, and some of them are even going abroad, which, which there's obviously nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is, um, we need to, to take it into consideration that the level of competition he's playing against, where John Morant is going up against the the best in the world, and and showing that that that, that he. Uh, belong so um, I do think that whether it's just conditioning or just getting accustomed to the the speed um, and the system of, of both the Pelicans and the and the NBA that will take some time because you can't you can't go you can't dominate just going 100 miles per hour every every play it's just that's just not it's just not going to work um, so I'm uh, I'm not saying he's going to have a poor remainder of the season as far as his performance go. Uh, goes, but um, it'll be there'll be a learning curve for sure. So your gut feeling right now, right? Do you think the Pelicans will end up regretting not taking Ja? No, I, I don't think so. And and truthfully, a lot of it goes into the fact that they had Drew Holiday and Lonzo Ball on their roster. Um, so point guard or rather primary ball handler wasn't much of a need. Um, and I, I agree. I mean, there's there's a difference between like Luca was a little bit more of an unknown commodity. Um, than than Zion Williamson was, and and that's for for more reasons than than one. But no, I, I don't think I don't think David Griffin and Co are going to regret passing on John Morant like the Suns and the Kings may regret passing, or even the Hawks too, I guess, passing on on a guy like Luca. Crazy to think that, right? That we're thinking about that because you go back to Doncic and, and Aiton. Like I thought, like DeAndre Aiton. I think had an incredibly high ceiling, but it had an, he had a higher floor, right? DeAndre Ayton had didn't have a lot of room to fail. He sigh, I mean, he already had an NBA body in at Arizona, right? I mean, he was already a massive guy, already a really polished skills. I said, all right, worst case scenario, he's a Mecca Okafor in his prime. You know what I mean? But yeah, best case Mecca, scenario, Mecca, he's a Mecca. I'm sorry, a Mecca Okafor's prime was was when he was still at UConn. Well, yeah. Well, they. Well, what I mean is, uh, like, no, I understand, uh, I understand. big body, a yes. lot of skill, that kind of guy, right? De- DeAndre Ayton ceiling. I, I, I didn't think it was too far fetched. David Robinson, maybe with a better jump shot. You know, that was that was what I saw. But you look at Zion, and I'm like, okay, yeah, the injuries scare you, but God, he is just so dominant. In literally every, the guy flies all over the floor. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, and it isn't just offensively; it's defense. He's flying cross yep. court to block shots. I'm like, it's insane. It ain't like the effort's not there. No, no, no absolutely not. And and another aspect of his game that I think people don't talk enough about is his vision, his IQ, and his ability to to find the open man. I mean, some of these passes that he was making over his um 
his one year at Duke were just phenomenal. And I think that kind of got lost in the shuffle just because of, of how freak of an athlete he is and how big and strong he is as well. And um, yeah, he's going to be able to, to positively affect that Pelicans team um, in, in a myriad of ways. And, and you brought up a few. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. But I, I'm, just, I'm just glad and, and rather I've been impressed more than anything with how um, seamless a transition it's been from going from the from Murray State and, and I believe the Ohio Valley Conference to to the NBA and he hasn't missed a beat. Can I tell you what college basketball team makes uh, is like actually d- making me pretty excited? I'm not gonna lie. Which one? Kentucky is making you excited for yeah. college basketball. Yeah, I think they are. I, I after, like them after, right after they just lost to South Carolina. I'm pretty, not kidding. That's pretty interesting. I, I know that. Uh, I, listen, I know they lost, but there is something about Kentucky that I like. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm with you. I mean, because at the end of the day, you're looking at, okay, backcourt, like who has a better backcourt in college basketball right now than them? Ashton Hagens and Tyrese yeah. Maxey. Yeah, I mean. Uh, Does anybody? On in paper, Kansas? On, uh, no, I mean, beyond Devon Dodson, um, I, 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 don't see, I don't see anyone else really matching up with them. That's my thing. On, on paper, though. Is, uh, well, okay. So is there anybody serious right now? Because, uh, listen, I like Kentucky. I think they're going to be really good. But uh, they're ranked 10th right now in the AP Top 25. So there are apparently nine teams that people think are better than they are. Well, it, it's, it, it's also you have to take in, into consideration um, records right now. So, I mean, I don't know if they still are, but San Diego State was one of the last undefeated teams. They're 18-0, yeah. and 0, yeah. yeah. Baylor has been playing well. I think they, they only have one loss. Um, Gonzaga is certainly uh, at the top of the ranking. So um, there's, there's a few teams that, um, that have been playing exceptionally well. And, and again, similar to, to college football and not so much in the same aspect just because there's plenty more games, but it also depends when you lose. That, that, right. that affects this ranking. So I wouldn't, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't pay too much attention to the nine teams that the AP poll has ranked ahead of Kentucky mm-hmm. um, just because of, of when teams win and lose. So, again, like, you can make the argument that, that Kentucky is better than San Diego State, but until San Diego State loses, they're, gonna, they're still going to be in that top ten. You think when San Diego State loses, they're going to take a dip? Oh, oh, of course. Like a, like a big dip, I mean. Um, it, it also depends who they lose to. But at the same token, the, the talent that San Diego State is going to have to play for the remainder of their schedule is not on par with the talent that – like losing to, to South Carolina, even though this isn't a great year, although our, our guy and um, uh, Winter Classic alum – A.J. Lawson has been playing well for, for the Gamecocks. But what I'm trying to say is the, a, a loss is set to South Carolina is, um, is, is weighted differently than a loss to whoever San Diego State still has on their schedule. No, I, 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 I think I'm with you on that. By the way, A.J. Lawson against Kentucky really struggled. Yeah. Five points, he shot one of nine. Really rough day. Wait, but, but I, that's his – but here's – that's his um, – like that, that could be A.J.'s kind of – Biggest thing, right? He he does get a little inefficient from correct, the floor. Correct. He does, but uh, supreme athlete though. Yeah. Kick and really play. Um, all right. So uh, to wrap this up, right? Duke's climbing back up. They're fifteen and two. Yep. Am I like am I, am I? Duke doesn't impress me. Am I missing the boat on them? No, I, I'm not. Buy, I'm not buying uh, what Duke is selling this year. And it's and it's funny because even ESPN just came out with an article that says um, despite Duke just losing to Clemson. They're still they're still underrated. 
I mean, I, I think I think that's just they're that's, underrated. That's just riding on Coach K's um, coattail. So I don't, I, I don't, I don't see Duke as a as a um, serious contender um, for a few reasons. But I, I'm with you. I, I'm not again. I'm not buying what what Duke is selling. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, thanks, Ray. Appreciate right, it. This guys. is this is always fun. I really do like this because again, it, it, even on the stuff that not a lot of people are thinking about, and because everybody's so focused in on football right now, you know. We try to draw the attention back onto basketball. We do a nice job. Uh, you do a nice job with that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you guys. All right. Let's go to the news. Uh, Big J journalist Matt Catarazzola here on a Friday. All right. So more fallout from Major League Baseball cheating scandal. So, uh, Oh, my God. The New York Mets and Carlos Beltran have uh, – we talked about uh, Red Sox and Cora mutually parting ways. Carlos Beltran actually decided to step down as manager – uh, reporting here from Bleacher Report uh, Baseball, this is from uh, David Lennon, he's a baseball columnist for Newsday, said that Carlos Beltran actually wanted to stay with the Mets, saying, quote, he could have handled the heat, but the team didn't want any distractions down the line. Well, yeah, I mean, the optics would have been bad. Like, th- this actually got brought up yesterday. If by some miracle the Mets ended up winning the World Series or going to the playoffs next year, or something like that. Every single part about that season would be in question because Carlos Beltran would be their manager. Even if they didn't do anything, it would be, well, what if they cheated? Mets don't want that. They don't want that. So they're going to bring in somebody else, and they're going to say, all right, clean slate. We're just going to roll and not have the noise. I thought it was a good decision. I I really do. I think it was a good decision. Unfortunate, because I like Carlos Beltran a lot, but it was a a really good choice by the Mets. Really good. Shifting over to football now, so uh, Agent Drew Rosenhaus conditionally terminated his relationship with Antonio Brown today. Thank God. Yesterday until the free agent wide receiver seeks counsel. This is per an NFL Player Association source. Rosenhaus wrote in a letter that the NFL Player Association received that he would like to work with Brown in the future, but not until he gets help. There you go. This is the start. I'm telling you right now, you're an alcoholic. Listen, if you struggle with alcohol, some people that struggle with alcohol don't, don't even, they don't even acknowledge the problem until they start losing everything. Okay. Antonio Brown's eight. People got to remember, Drew Rosenhaus has stuck with Antonio Brown throughout virtually this entire thing you're still trying to get him work still trying to convince people that he's a good guy still trying to do all this stuff that drew rosenhaus has stuck with him like crazy now drew rosenhaus wants nothing to do with him nothing so this, this is also according to it's gonna be report. a 30 for 30 on ab this is according to bleacher reports mike freeman it is now increasingly apparent that antonio brown's chances of returning to the nfl get lowered by the day and this league could try to ban antonio brown for an entire season I wouldn't be opposed to it. Again, A.B. needs to come to a realization that he has completely lost it. He's lost it. Okay, this is no longer a he's an idiot thing. This is a he needs help thing. Antonio Brown has, I mean, this is a, I can't remember another time when another NFL player lost their mind quite like this. I'm serious. At the I, height of their career, too. Right, exactly. And no, I don't like. I don't mean like Aaron Hernandez, where he goes off murdering people. What I what I mean is, like he's 
he's actually gone what looks like to be a little bit insane. Okay, he's he's calling the cops on his ex-wife or on his ex-girlfriend or something like that that he has children with because she's picking them up for school? Is that what it is? Something like that. I mean, that. it was... The, uh, I, the whole Instagram are you serious? Live was a whole episode. I, 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 I'm at a... I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I, listen, I'm happy that Drew Rosenhaus made that decision. He's not represented by anybody. He won't be represented by anybody. It's a wake-up call. It really is. At that point, it's a wake-up call. And it, this is not going to be the end of it. He needs to lose more. He does. He's got to start going bankrupt. He's got to lose his house. I'm telling you, that is what it is going to take for him to realize he's got a problem. Everyone's saying that Antonio Brown needs to wake up. I don't think it's that simple. How is that? He needs to think about, okay, you know what? I need to get my act together. Like, no, this you need to be like, exactly what Rose of the House said. Like, this man needs help. Actual serious counseling, therapy. Yeah, no, possibly, he needs real help. Possibly rehab of some sort. But this guy needs help. Serious help. Yeah. No, this is not good for him at all. All right. So uh, I, th- I saw this little interesting thing, uh, again, on, on Bleacher Report. It's, a very, uh, it's very telling to George Kittle's character. So uh, San Francisco 49ers coach Kyle Shanahan said that he's never heard his star tight end ask for touches. Shanahan says that Kittle does approach him about every seven or eight plays to discuss running plays and who to hit. So going forward, going forward in this playoffs, is he the best tight end, or would you still take Travis Kelsey? That is really tough. I know. And it's someone, like, just for production, I mean... Kittle can block, yeah. Kittle, too. Kittle can drive people into the ground with ease. But I like... I, 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 mm. I might take Kittle. Yeah? Like, by the skin of his... T- yeah, maybe. That's, that's so tough. That is splitting hairs. But Travis Kelsey... Like, I don't think it's a question that Travis Kelsey's a better receiver. Like, Travis Kelsey's a better pass catcher. Right. But the collective package, I mean, George Kittle is so good at his job. It really is amazing. And he's just what you want mm-hmm. in a teammate, oh my God, a football yeah. player. Oh, my God, yeah. could not ask for a better person to be your kind of your rallying cry. Oh, yeah. Especially now in a deep playoff run. Absolutely. Now, again, this is that's a really tough one. Who would you take, Ray? Kittle or Kelsey? I'm going Kittle for, for a lot of the same reasons that, that you guys just mentioned. So, I mean, they, they're obviously both phenomenal pass catchers, but when it comes down to it, I think Kittle separates himself from his ability to block. Um, and I, I, think, I, I think for San Francisco to have so much success running the ball, I'm not saying it all relies on, on Kittle's ability to, to, um, to, to block the man in front of him, but that's a piece of it. And people overlook that too. I agree. A lot of people overlook the the blocking aspect of being a tight end. It's it's arguably the most important responsibility of being a tight end, which is run blocking, pass blocking too. But if you're a, if you're a good route runner and you're able to catch passes, and you're that physically dominant, you know it's just it, if you have the entire package. That's why tight ends are such a rare breed now, and why we can say like after Gronk left, it's pretty much just a one two three of Kittle, Ertz, and Kelsey. That in, like in no particular order, and then you have other like serviceable guys that can get the job done. But right. Cooper, Hunter exactly, Henry, there's yeah. not a lot of there's not a lot of elite. You know, like Ebron, there's not a lot of elite uh, tight ends anymore after after Gronk retired. So it's good to see now that we have two of the best still in the postseason. 
And we'll see. People forget about this, too, but watch for TJ Hawkinson. Yeah. TJ yeah. Hawkinson mm-hmm. can develop and he can play. All right, that's the news. Big J journalist Matt Catarizzolo here on a Friday. Good stuff. Who do you like this weekend, Ray? Um, I'm going to it, – it, it's so tough to, to bet against um, Mahomes and the Chiefs. You know, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that in one second. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with, with Rodgers and the, and the Packers, um, take down 49ers. Um, wow. I just, I mean, I think, I think Rodgers is going to take advantage of this opportunity because he knows that this is probably one of the, the last times he's going he's gonna to be in this position. Um, and, you know, I mean, San Francisco, San Francisco has been playing well on both ends of the, on both ends of the field um, all year. But so going with Rodgers, um, I'll say this, and it's, pre- it's, it's pretty self-explanatory, but um, if I think – the Chiefs will have a harder time coming back in a game against the Titans again than than they did against the Texans just because of the Titans' ability to hold on to the ball and, and run it with with Derrick Henry. So, I mean, putting a gun to my head, I guess I'll go Packers Chiefs, and um, then we'll just see what happens on Sunday. But it should be a couple couple of great games. I feel uh, Packers Chiefs. All right, Kevin from Chicago. How you doing, Kevin? Pretty good. I just want a couple points to get you guys thoughts on. Go for it. Okay. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny. I was watching uh, after the game, the Ryan Tannehill versus Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny how the different people, different takes they had. Every time someone brought up Tannehill, it was, you know, on Twitter they're talking about Tannehill. Oh, you just lost to Ryan Tannehill. That meme. And the responses were, Tannehill lose to Tannehill. He lost to Derrick Henry. Tannehill did do nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tannehill sucks all Derrick Henry. Tannehill outscored the Ravens by himself. He punched him in the mouth right off the gate. He threw that bomb, and, and he had a, um, a rushing touchdown. Mm-hmm. He outscored him by himself, by himself. And this idea that he just, like, he's a bomb, and uh, oh, the only reason they're doing good is because of Derrick Henry. Like, if you watch the regular season, he, um, he was balling out in the regular season, playing really good. His stats back it up. And uh, another reason is um, kind of the media. Imagine if um, Jimmy Garoppolo or Kirk Cousins played the way Lamar Jackson did. The turnovers, the um, not being able to put points on the board, they would light him up. But for whatever reason, Lamar Jackson, the golden boy, y'all want to defend him. That Oh, critiquing Lamar Jackson, that's absurd. He, he did this and that, blah, blah, blah. I want to get your guys' thoughts next. I think you're funny. way off. I think you're way, way off. I, I, I think it's it, – there is uh, – Lamar Jackson has gotten a ripping of criticism, a ripping of criticism since the playoff game. He absolutely has. I mean, there are people that saying that he can't play quarterback. You know what I mean? After this year, people are literally telling him that he can't play the position because when it comes down to those big moments where he's got to make the throw, he can't do it. So he's gotten – I wouldn't call him the golden boy at all. I think he's gotten a lot of criticism. And secondly, as far as Ryan Tannehill is concerned, it, it isn't a matter of that Tannehill sucks. I actually think that Tannehill should get an extension. My thing is, uh, the thing is, is that it, that is definitely a run-based offense, and they're not asking Tannehill to do much. He only okay. has 160 yards combined right, in the playoffs so far. Exactly. He's thrown for 160 yards combined in the playoffs. So... 
it isn't like he's torching people. So I understand why people are saying, yeah, Tannehill sucks. It's only because of Derrick Henry. Yeah, Derrick Henry really does help. I don't think Tannehill sucks, but, I mean, Derrick Henry is the reason where they are right now. Derrick Henry's controlling the entire playoffs. He really is. He's controlling the entire postseason. So, oh, to your no doubt, no doubt, Derrick Henry's a big part. But I'm thinking when it comes to Lamar Jackson, my point about Lamar Jackson, the mainstream media—they're the ones that are um, defending him. You heard Rex Ryan. What did he say? Anybody criticizing uh, Lamar Jackson is an idiot. Well, what would, would you say? Would you? What would you say about Lamar Jackson? I would say he got exposed two years in a row when it mattered most. Ooh. Um, that's tough. Well, it's hard to get exposed three years in a row when he's only played two years. But I'll also say this. If Lamar Jackson got exposed, how did he get exposed? He can't come back from a deficit. He, he When he has to throw the ball, put points on the board, it doesn't rely on its feet. He can't do it. He chokes. He, he um. So we're so we're gonna we're gonna what we're gonna do is we're gonna write him off after his second year. No, I'm not gonna write him off, but he's got to get better throwing the ball. It's well, what if I told you? What if I told you that Lamar Jackson did get better at throwing the ball? Did you realize that in his first year he had a completion percentage of 58 percent, and this year he had that jumped up all the way to 66? He had an eight percent increase in completion percentage this year. He led the league in passing touchdowns. He led the league in touchdown percentage. He threw for over 3,000 yards at a 66% clip. Uh, he led the league that's in total good, QBR. But That's good, but what happens when it matters most in the playoffs? First round exit. You know, all the stats in the world in the regular season, but when it comes down to when it matters, he didn't perform. Well, when it comes down to when it matters, he's has, he has two years under his belt. Okay, the first year he is nineteen and three in the regular season in his career. He's nineteen and five, including the postseason. Okay, is it fair for me to say give the guy a break, give the guy a couple of years? Also, probably going to win an MVP. He's in also second season. He's also twenty two oh. years old. Okay, what about Jimmy Garoppolo? How many years has he been been uh, starting? Twenty one and twenty one and five as a starter. Right, They're very similar to Lamar Jackson. Okay, if Jimmy Garoppolo went out there and shit the bed the way Lamar Jackson did, do you think people would be defending him? No, they'd be saying, oh, this dude sucks. He's a bust. Can't, the, can't there are a lot of people criticizing run. Jimmy Garoppolo. They say he's the Jimmy worst Garoppolo played. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Jimmy Garoppolo plays in a run-based offense also. Did you realize that San Francisco's the second-best running team in the league? They average 140 yards rushing a game. They have four different running backs that would all start for different teams. This is not a Jimmy Garoppolo-led offense either. Okay, did you realize that in the game that that in the wild uh, in the divisional round game against the Vikings, Kirk Cousins actually outplayed Jimmy Garoppolo. But Jimmy Garoppolo and the Niners, they were able to control the clock with the running game, and that's the reason that they won that game, right? Yes, but it's not all about. Numbers. It's about winning. So, what's the best for the team? Okay, but what helps lead? What helps lead to winning? What well, What would you say? Whatever, what would you say? Whatever, help me? Whoever wants to pitch in, whatever game plan the coach comes up with. That's, okay. That's what leads exactly. To okay. So, would it not be fair for me to say that in Lamar Jackson Jackson's case, he's playing with a hurt Mark Ingram, a hurt Mark Andrews, and he's in his second year in the NFL? 
Uh, Is it fair for me to say that? The, the passes, the bad passes, the inaccurate passes. Um, he's not an accurate passer. He can't throw the ball down the field. But how can you say that if he's completing 66% of his throws? In the Titans game, the receivers were dropping passes left and right. I think he yeah, had like the, six or seven drops there were in that seven, game. Andrews, that, that, that Mark Andrews pass was high. The Mark was, Andrews was pass wasn't pass. very high. It wasn't very no. high. It was high. You didn't put him on the numbers. He didn't put it on the numbers. He put it on the numbers. I mean, if you're, you're ex- listen, 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 uh, hang on. If you're expecting Lamar Jackson to be Patrick Mahomes, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Okay, no quarterback is going to be perfect. Is Lamar Jackson going to be a precise throw of the football all the time? No, he's not. But does that mean he's exposed as a quarterback? No. If he completes 63% of his throws for the rest of his career, is he not an accurate quarterback? He's not accurate down the field. He's not accurate down the field. Okay, all right. Thanks for the call, bud. All right, so there we go. Let's take care of that. Uh... That's ridiculous. I didn't agree with the single That's, thing that guy said. That was ridiculous. Seriously, I, I, I don't understand the Lamar Jackson exposed people. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. All right, coming up next, we'll pick the games. We'll do deathmatch. All that coming up, hour number three. It's the Haystack on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Worldwide Sports Radio presents the, 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 the Haystack Show with Mike Guido. Here we go, hour number three. It's the Haystack on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Mike Guido, Evan Mazza, my producer, Matt Catarizzolo, Big J Journalist. Great to have you in. Uh, all right. So we have... Uh, games this weekend, Sunday night games, uh, Titans, Chiefs, Packers, 49ers, the AFC and NFC championship games. Like I said, bu- a bunch of different scenarios. I think worst case scenario, we get Titans, Packers. Best case scenarios, we get Niners, Chiefs. All right, Evan, here we go. What do we have? Well, first one up, Chiefs, Titans for the AFC championship game. I think Kansas City is, what, a seven-point favorite? Seven and a half. Seven and a half favorites in this game. So, for the AFC title, Chiefs-Titans, who's going to the Super Bowl to represent the AFC? I am I am going to say the Kansas City Chiefs. I am not overly confident in it because the Titans are doing what they're doing. But I think the Chiefs, they're just going to score too many points. I think this will be. this won't be a time of possession matter. The Chiefs are just going to air the ball out. They're going to take control of the game. Patrick Mahomes is just going to show you how great he is. A coaching advantage goes to the Chiefs. Uh, again, they might struggle stopping Derrick Henry, but I have a feeling that, that Patrick Mahomes is not going to stay off the field. He's going to stay. Uh, he's going to be really heavy in this game. The, it's in Kansas City. I, I'm going to take the Chiefs' higher scoring game. I'll take the Chiefs 34, I'll say 34-24 Chiefs as the Chiefs represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, I, if there's a team in this entire postseason that's riding a bigger high than Tennessee, it's Kansas City. Uh, after the Texans game, I don't think I can really rule them out of anything, and that includes a Super Bowl victory. So win uh, by twenty after being down yeah, by twenty. Like, it's just you've never seen something like that before. Uh, Mahomes is just on a different level than anybody else right now. He's far and away the best quarterback in the playoffs. That includes Aaron Rodgers. 
Uh, I just think, yeah, everything you said, Mike, I think it's, it's just, he's going to show you how great he is. They're just going to drop over 30 on him. Uh, so I think this one is where uh, the road for the Titans ends in Arrowhead. Uh, I think the Chiefs really finally get the AFC uh, championship victory they deserved last year, this year. Uh, and I say they take it and punch their ticket to the Super Bowl with a score of 41 to 20. I'm going to say it's yeah, not even blowout. close. Not wow. even close. Yep. The Chiefs, are, the Titans are coming into this game with momentum. They're coming into this game with nothing, nothing to lose, house money. They've accomplished everything they've had to accomplish this season. They, they are, they have all momentum in the world. Derrick Henry's the postseason MVP. But the pressure is solely on the Kansas City Chiefs. There is no New England Patriots to stop you. There is no Baltimore Ravens to stop you. You beat, you came back and had a tremendous comeback against the Houston Texans. Now is the time for Pat Mahomes. The, the window is wide open for Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs to make it to a Super Bowl. Here it is. Andy Reid needs to get to the Super Bowl and he needs to win the Super Bowl. So I'm going to take the Kansas City Chiefs to win this game. I think it will be close. I'll go 30-20 because the Chiefs have the 26-ranked rushing defense all year long. Derek Henry ran for 180 yards the last time they met. I think he'll have another pretty good game, pretty good day. Give me, I think I'll have another pretty good day. Give me Derrick Henry and the Titans to run for over 120 yards. But I'll say the Chiefs win 30 to 20 as the Chiefs move on to the Super Bowl. My biggest I'm surprised. We're all on the Chiefs. My biggest X factor in this game for the Kansas City Chiefs will be the will be their own running attack with Damian Williams and LeSean McCoy, especially Damian Williams. But the biggest thing for the Texans, for the Titans, if they're going to win this game, if the Titans are going to win this game, is for offensive line and run the football to keep Pat Mahomes on the sidelines. They do that, the Titans could win this game. I just think it's too much offense for the Chiefs. The Chiefs offense, the Chiefs defense will hold off Tannehill. They'll do what they can against Henry. I don't think anyone can stop Henry right now. But I'll take the Chiefs 30-20, to and they'll move on to the Super Bowl. Next up. In the NFC title for the NFC Championship game, Niners-Packers, Niners favored by 7.5 in Levi Stadium. Guys, we all have the Chiefs. Who's going on to face the Chiefs in the Super Bowl? Niners and the Packers. I'm actually a lot more certain about this one. I'm going to take the 49ers. I, 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 listen, they're, they have the number. They have the Packers number at this point. Uh, it, the last time they played, it was a 37-8 Niners win. It's in Levi, It's in Santa Clara, so they the, the home field advantage is for the 49ers. That front seven is going to really make the difference. They're going to get after Aaron Rodgers. They're going to make him move out of the pocket quite a bit, and I don't think the Packers have the perimeter players to get it done. I think the Niners are going to control the time of possession with their running game. They're going to just better coach again. Kyle Shanahan over Matt LaFleur. Give me the 49ers. I, this one, I think, is going to be even more lopsided. I'm going to say, give me the Niners, 31, I'll say 31-18 over the Packers. You know, this is going to be an interesting game because uh, the way that the 49ers defense is really heavily stacked is going to force Green Bay to kind of play outside of their strength. Their strength all year has been Aaron Jones. You know, running the football, they they really don't have a number two wide receiver outside of, you know, it's Devontae Adams. You got Jimmy Graham as a tight end. And you got a bunch of guys that can just, you know, that are just on the field. No one really super effective. Nothing could really, no, one, no difference makers. Right. Uh, Aaron Jones was tied with McCaffrey this year for the scrimmage yards and for the scrimmage touchdowns. Uh, so, I mean, testing that against this San Francisco front seven, which has been the, the best in football all year. Uh, 
I think it's gonna uh, force a real problem and just uh, I think it's just it's just gonna be again heavily favored for San Francisco because of those reasons and uh, I say that they're gonna also punch their ticket for the Super Bowl uh, this Sunday at home uh, I say it's gonna be I don't think it's gonna be a blowout but I, I do think that they're going to win by at least a touchdown I say 31 23 31 23 San Francisco I'm going to say 27-24 San Francisco. I think this game will be much closer than the last time. Green Bay is a good football team. They have what you they have what you got to have to, to make to win a Super Bowl. Go on the road. A good rushing attack. A decent offensive line. Setting up play action. A big body receiver like Devontae Adams. A pass rush that I think could really pay dividends in this game. But I just think it'll be too much San Francisco. They're just they're just a little bit better. Good offensive line. A great defensive front. A, front, a great defensive front seven. Uh, another good, and also another good running game. I think San Francisco will make just one more play than the Packers in this game. 27-24, San Francisco 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan go to their first Super Bowl, and they'll take on Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid in the Super Bowl. Pat Mahomes will go to his first Super Bowl, Andy Reid his second. Roll on the Chiefs and the 49ers in the Super Bowl. I am, I am praying for this matchup. Praying for it. Which, yeah, which means it's going to be Titans-Packers, which I'm not, I'm not going to get both of these games right. So, I'm telling you right now, I mean, I'm, though. I'm good with that. 49ers-Chiefs is the matchup we should all be rooting for. Yeah, 100%. It should, all should be rooting for. Absolutely. And then the Chiefs wear, the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, they wear, they wear the red jerseys. And then the Niners, they wear the all-white with the red lettering and, and the gold. Oh, yes. That's a Super Bowl. That's nice. I'll that is a, a Super Bowl. Telling you right now, Niners Chiefs is what everybody should be worried. Uh, what everybody should be rooting for. Telling you right now. So there we go. We're all on Niners. We're all on Chiefs. This is Andy. Wow. Reed. So we're diverse. We're, we're all three of us are taking both favorites. Great. Real exciting, guys. Way this, to be diverse. This is Andy Reid's <laughs> best shot to win a Super Bowl. This it is. is. This is Andy. I'm Reed. with you. If the Andy Reid, and I think that's another big story we really that really isn't getting talked about. Uh, in this in this conference title game matchup, yeah, I know it's cold. It is cold really in here. Cold. I, I I'm just, freezing. I just actually, my I just bundled up my sweatshirt. You're like a Andy, little penguin, eh? Andy Reid. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I got dude. dude He's I, a little I, I, pe- dude, waddle. Like a little penguin, <laughs> dude. Wark, 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 wark. Dude, I got. I did get called that sometimes. Like middle school, they'd be like, "Yo, you look like a penguin." I'm like, yeah, "March no. of the Evans." Wow, like, oh, that's a March of the Evans. March of the Evans. I you thought it. that was a good one, didn't you? I did. I actually thought, like, in my head, I'm like, yo, March of the Evans, say March of the Evans. And I'm like, hey, March of the Evans. Say it right now. Say it right now. That will get people to laugh. It's like, say boom. It right now. Comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I had the Mad Money soundboard up. Put the, put the clapping. No, oh, I think, I think this, is, this is Andy Reid's best shot at Super Bowl. Tw- after 20 years, he's been to only one in his career. Uh, numerous postseason failures. Almost was there last year. Was an offsides away from being there last year. This is his best shot. To, this is finally his best shot to win to win his first because he's that's such, the best. He's such a great football coach without a ring, and it's it's just that's a story that's one. going under he underappreciated. Andy Reid going to a Super Bowl with the chance to win it uh-huh. for the first time in his career. Andy Reid needs a Super Bowl. He does. He, he does. needs a Super Bowl. He's already. I mean, he's too already, good of a coach to not have one. He's already a Hall of Fame coach. He's already one of the best coaches of the of the of this generation. 
But yeah, he needs a ring, right? And it's really amazing that he's only been to one. Again, it, it tells you how hard it is to get to to get to a Super Bowl. Reed's only been to one out of all the great teams he's had: Kansas City and, it's and Philadelphia. It, it's a testament to how long he's been in the in the uh, in the league for. The last quarterback that he went to the Super Bowl with was Donovan McNabb. Uh-huh. I mean, I, Mike Mike Vrabel. You hey, it's again, it's hard. It's really hard. But you got to figure Mike Vrabel will eventually get a Super Bowl. You got to figure Shanahan is going to win a Super Bowl. You got to figure Matt Lafleur could win. Could definitely win a Super Bowl. It's I see Shanahan hard. definitely could. Yeah. Matt Lafleur, well I think, is least likely to win one out of all the guys that you just named. Matt Lafleur is least likely because if he doesn't win it with Aaron Rodgers, yeah, it's. it's I, I mean, that's I, it's going to be tough. And it, and if he's if he doesn't win it with Aaron, we don't know how long he's going to be with Green Bay. Well, as long as the window is open for Rodgers, the window will be open for Lafleur to get to get one. I think you still have at least three. Of, I, again, Rodgers. Well, it depends. Now, I mean, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. I think is he's got what, a couple of a couple of decent. I years. think he's got maybe three, four years. I think he's got two. I think he has two really good years left. After that, you're going to start seeing the pretty heavy dip. You got to keep in mind, Aaron Rodgers. What thirty six? Thirty five. Thirty six. Thirty five ish. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers just finished his age thirty. All right, so he's in his age thirty six season right now. Yeah, so he'll be thirty six next. No, uh, so if he's if he's great till he's thirty eight, then I think that's realistic. Well, look at these guys. I mean, Breeze just turned forty one. Brady's forty. But I don't think Aaron is that guy. Aaron's like. Uh, I don't, think and Brady, they, I don't think the gap between Breeze and Rodgers is, are, is that high. No, but it, it has nothing to do with the gap. It has everything to do with their style of play. If okay, anything, Aaron well, Rodgers is... Breeze doesn't throw the, the ball down the field. Rodgers is... That's his specialty. Well, and Rodgers is the roll-out-of-the-pocket athletic... Right. You know, do the, do the crazy athletic things... And in his older age, Rodgers might not be able to do that anymore. I mean, you got to keep in mind, Aaron Rodgers has not been overly accurate throughout his career. He's not like Drew Brees where he's going to complete 73% of his throws. Okay, Aaron Rodgers is going to complete 63% of his throws and be done with it. You know, you got to kind of expect that to take a dip. I say, like I said, I say after another two seasons, which is why I'm saying, that's part of the reason why I'm saying the Packers have to do everything they can to get them to get Aaron Rodgers some perimeter players, so when he can't make the plays, they can. And they they're in similar surroundings right now in terms of weapons. Like, look, think about it. Rodgers has wide receiver one Adams, tight end Graham, running back Aaron Jones. Breeze has wide receiver one Thomas, tight end Jared Cook, running back Alvin Kamara. So they have the same situa- similar situations right now. Right, Breeze has a. They fun. both need number two, right. number three receivers. They yeah, need supplementary pieces. Breeze has the far and away better coach, but you're right. Their styles of play are different. But I, I could see. Yeah, I could. I, I say Matt Lafleur definitely has the lowest chance. I'm not saying it's it's not not a good chance, but definitely the lowest out of those four remaining in the playoffs. It's always insanely hard. To, again, it's insanely hard to get to a Super Bowl. It's insanely hard to get back to a Super Bowl. And I think that's why. Again, that's why for Andy Reid's case. It's it's imp- it's really imperative. It's important that he gets there now. Wins it, and again, not not a slight at the Titans, but yes, you look at this matchup. The Chiefs should win this game, but again, we did say that the last two weeks. Patriots they should beat the Titans. Nope. The Ravens they should beat the Titans. Nope. So you know, it's anyone. It's a conference title game. It's anyone's ball game. So Matt, Matt Lafleur, I I, st- I think he's got at least three or four years with Rodgers. I mean, Rodgers is going to th- is going to be thirty six. I still think he's talented. I think he's talented enough to at least play until he's about forty. Yeah, again, because we're seeing it now. Brady, Brady has played till he's forty-two. Breeze is still playing till he's forty, forty-one years old. Uh, Man, Peyton played till he was what thirty. What was Peyton's last age? 
Was Paint 37 in 2015? I think he was. You're probably right. I think it was 37 in 2015. So, so he never, he never, I don't think he ever really got to 40. Favre, of course, got to 40. No, he never got to 40, but no. Peyton's decline was a lot sooner because of the injuries. Right, the next, so, the next injury, yes. Right, so. Eli, of course, is 37. So, but guys can get to their 40s. I think, I think Rodgers is talented enough to at least get to the age of 40 where, he can, where he's still playing at a pretty good level. Right. They'll have about, I think, I think before has about four years, four years of Rodgers. All right, here we go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. Matt, Friday athlete death match. Matt, here we go. Matt, this is why you come here. Derrick Henry, 6'3", 248 against Frank Clark, 6'3", 260. So Derrick Henry. Yes, against Frank Clark. 6'3", 247 against Frank Clark, who's a D-lineman. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, have you seen who's 6'3", 260. Have I'm seen? still, I'm taking Henry. My God. I'm still taking Henry. God, I don't know. Nope. Derrick Henry all the way. Well, that's the thing. In this death match, is he running at you at any point? Because if if so, if he gets uh, some accelerate. Oh, yes. Okay, then boom. Game over. Yeah, Frank Clark will die. Yeah, but you don't think Frank Clark can do the same thing? I mean, Frank Clark's a pass rusher. I would take Frank Clark. I don't care. Frank Clark is just a monster. I understand it, but there's a difference between a running back and a pass rusher. Sammy Watkins against Adam Humphreys. Oh, uh, that's a that's a bad one. I don't <laughs> like that one, Evan. Sammy Watkins is six one two eleven, and Adam Humphreys. Adam Humphreys is five eleven one ninety five. Give me Sammy Watkins. I'll take Sammy too. We're going a little blast in the past here. 6'3", 240, Eddie George, 5'9", 213, Priest Holmes. Oh, Ooh, man. Okay, that's a good one. Eddie George, 6'3", 235, and Priest Holmes. Eddie George was 6'3"? Priest Holmes was 5'9", 213. I'll take Eddie. I would take Eddie, too. I didn't know Eddie was 6'3". He's just six, so much three. bigger. Yeah, Wow. Another blast of the past. Chris Johnson, 5'11", 203 versus Jamal Charles, 5'11", 199. So Chris Johnson is 5'11", 195. And who'd you say? Jamal Charles, 5'11", 199. Jamal Charles. I would probably say Chris Johnson. Uh, Yeah. I'd probably say Chris Johnson. I would take he was fast as hell, but he could... I would take Chris Johnson, but cause, just because Jamal Charles, we saw how injury-prone that guy was, probably can't take pain very well. Right. That's not a slight to him, but still. Plus, Chris Johnson's a thick you know, guy he, you and know, he's fast He's, he's the best fantasy football running back of all time. Jamal Charles. For one season. Uh, Jamal football. Charles? Yeah. Jamal Charles. Really? Yeah. He has the single... He has the single uh, he has the single best uh, fantasy football performance for a running back. Wow. Hold on. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. Keep thinking, though, Ev. I'll, I'll find it. Derek Johnson at 6'3", 245. against Keith Bullock at 6'3", 245. All right. So Derek Johnson, 6'3", 242. And who was the other guy? Keith Bullock, the old outside linebacker for the Tennessee Titans. Also was a New York Giant. Wow. Uh, that's tough, but I'd probably take Derek Johnson. I would probably take Derek Johnson. Quote, close, though. No, it's close. close. It's, it's definitely close. 
Keith Bullock was. I remember watching Keith a Bullock. A beast. Yeah, he was a beast. Uh, Devontae Adams at 6'1", 215 against Richard Sherman at 6'3", 195. I take Devontae. I think I take Devontae. 6'1", 215, and Richard Sherman Michael Sherman is 6'3", 195. I take Devontae. Devontae Adams shorter but heavier. Richard Sherman is taller but lighter. Give me Sherman. I'm sorry, my mom's watching it. She was like, wave. So I was like, okay. So I waved. She's like, <laughs> I, I can't say, see say, wait, it. who's over there? Yeah, I'm, I'm... Oh, you're waving to the camera. I waved the camera, but... Yeah. Did I ruin happened. it? I ruined it. I'm sorry. No, no, no. All Hi, right. Mrs. Catarizzolo. <laughs> All right, so it's Devontae. I, I think I'm taking Devontae. I'd probably take Sherman. Yikes. I would probably take Sherman. Slightly, I would take Sherman. Slightly. But I would probably take Richard Sherman. Ryan Bulaga at 6'5", 314 versus Iowa. Eric Armstead at 6'7", 292. <laughs> Wait, Brian Bulaga, Iowa. 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 <laughs> versus who? Eric Armstead at 6'7", 292. Oh, my God, dude. I'm I'm definitely taking Armstead. All right, Eric Armstead is 6'7", 292. Bulaga is 6'5", 314. I'd probably take Armstead, but it would be close, though, because Bulaga's a big guy. Balaga's big. I don't know. I I would take Armstead, but Armstead. slightly. Armstead. Joe Staley at 6'5", 295 against Preston Smith at 6'5", 265. I take Preston. Staley's older. Staley's kind of Joe old. Staley's 6'5", 295, and Preston Smith. Preston Smith is 6'5", 265. Yeah, I'd probably take Preston. Close. Again. I'd probably take Preston, though. Yeah, I'll take Preston also. Aaron Jones at 5'9", 2'08", against one of my favorite one of my favorite names and players in the NFL, Kyle Juszczyk at 6'1", 240. Uh, oh, Juszczyk. I like Juszczyk a lot. I think I'd have to take Juszczyk. 6'1", 240, 5'9", 208. Give me Juszczyk. Yeah, i take Juszczyk. Just a pit bull of a player. I like that guy a lot. Another blast from the past. Here we go. Patrick Willis at 6'1", 240 against Clay Matthews, 6'3", 255. Oh, oh, wow. So Patrick Willis in his prime against Clay Matthews in his prime. Clay was a Clay was the best linebacker in football in one period in time, dude. I think Patrick uh, Willis was 6'1", 242, and Clay, who's still playing, by the way, is 6'3", 255. Clay I, Matthews is bigger. I still think I'd take Clay. Damn, I'd take Clay. I'm going to disagree. I would take Patrick Willis. Patrick Willis was such an animal. He was such an animal, and he could definitely still be playing. All right, here we go. Last one. Charles Woodson at 6'1", 210, versus the general manager of the 49ers in his prime, John, John Lynch, Lynch at 6'2", 220. Who was the other one? Charles Woodson at 6'1", 210. Oh. I'd have to take Lynch. John Lynch is 6'2", 220. Woodson, 6'1", 210. I'd take Lynch. I'd take Lynch, too. I would take John Lynch. Hard-hitting safety. John Lynch. All right, so there we go. That's Friday Athlete Deathmatch. Music ended right in the dot, right the, too. Wow. That was pretty sick. 159, boom. Now, I think it's one time. Oh, that I think it's the, final, the, the first time we've done Deathmatch that it didn't take us to, like, 2.30. I like that. Very yeah. time efficient. Yeah. Well, it's the obligation of the host to cut the segment just based on, you know. 
You know what? Never mind. I'm just going to stop. You know what? Whatever. Fine, dude. Whatever. Don't, don't, mind. don't even worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> just, it's, anything, it's, got, it's fine. anything got one more they want to add? <laughs> Matt Catarazzolo, Big J journalist, Evan Mazza, my producer. I'm Mike Guido. This is the Haystack on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Enjoy the games this weekend. We'll see you on Monday. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.